We're in this little mini-series around the holiday that I've entitled Thanksgiving Songs. And the premise is, I made the, the statement last week that it seems like every holiday has lots of songs around the holiday, but there are no Thanksgiving songs. And I, I knew I could count on you. I got a couple of emails and texts to say, not so fast, fat guy. There are, in fact, Christina and Dustin. Here's a little clip of some genuine Thanksgiving songs. But the truth is that Scripture is full of Thanksgiving songs, and it's called the Book of Psalms. In fact, also I mentioned last week that the Psalms was a hymnal for ancient Hebrew worship services. And I had a couple of great questions after church. Someone asked me, did they actually sing the Psalms? Well, if you'll look at the headings of the Psalms in your Bible, I just flipped through Psalms 9, Psalms 22, Psalms 45, and others. It'll say in the heading, uh, for the director of music to the tune of, and it'll name a song. Now, we have no idea what that tune is, but they did. So these were actually songs that they sang. In fact, I also went to YouTube and found some some Orthodox Jews at the Western Wall worshiping the Psalm 118. Now, before I show you this little clip, let me mention that Hashem in Hebrew literally means the name. And they would substitute that rather than say God because God was just too holy to say. So the Orthodox Jews would use Hashem to substitute for the name of God. But here's some genuine Orthodox Jewish worship. Okay, and then another question I had, and we're going to get into this psalm here in just a second. But someone asked me, what about the musical instruments listed in the psalms? They actually use those for worship. In fact, some of the musical instruments mentioned in psalms we still use today, like trumpets and drums and harps. But then there are also a lot of instruments mentioned that we don't use at all, like the shofar or the lyre, the crotales, which is a little melodic symbols. But I've got one more little clip of Orthodox Jews worshiping. And they're at the Tower of David. They're a little more practiced than that last group we saw. In fact, they're really, really good. But this is, they're actually singing Psalms 121. Isn't that beautiful? Okay, so the songs that God gave to His people thousands of years ago are still valid and beautiful today. We're looking at one in Psalms 136. And if you have that open on your lap right now, you can look at just a glance and understand what the psalmist is trying to communicate. This is verse 1 of Psalms 136. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. Okay, what's this passage saying to us? We serve a God who is awesome. And He is amazing. And the obvious question is, so what? What does that have to do with me? And I want you to know that question is not blasphemous. Because a lot of people have not been touched by the love of God. They've not experienced the love of Jesus. So they would read Psalms 136 and say, Okay, your God is awesome. His love endures forever, but I can't find a job. If your God's love endures forever, why is my marriage falling apart? Why should I give God thanks? I think that's a great question. 
And the psalmist goes on to list four reasons. Verse 4 says, To him who alone does great wonders, his love endures forever. And the first reason we give God thanks is because he's sovereign. He's above all. He's all-powerful. Think about it. God sees everything, and he's interested in everything. God sees every person in the world and knows about you intimately and cares about you. And God's not sitting idly up in heaven. He is currently, right now, at this moment, proactively managing the affairs of man on the earth. He does great wonders. And also, the Bible says that He alone does great wonders. In other words, our God is unique. There's no other God like Him at all. Secondly, God is Creator. This is verse 5. Who by His understanding made the heavens, who spread out the earth upon the waters, who made the great lights, the sun to govern the day, the moon and the stars to govern the night. His love endures forever. So that tells us that everything that is, God made on purpose. God had a plan for everything that's in existence, including you. He needed you, so He created you. And conversely, He knows what you need. And then also, the Bible says because God is Creator, He knew what would make you say, Wow, look at that! And He created all that for you. Going on, God is a deliverer. Number three, this is verse 10. To Him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt and brought Israel out from among them with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. To Him who divided the sea asunder and brought Israel through the midst of it but swept Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea. To Him who led His people through the wilderness, His love endures forever. His love endures forever. His love endures forever. His love endures forever. Now, I know some of you in this place are going through some crushing circumstances. But the Bible tells us that God is a deliverer. We can look at this passage and remind ourselves, if God delivered Israel out of, the Red, out of Egypt, if He parted the Red Sea, if He led them to a land that He gave them as their very own, then He can give you what you need. He will deliver you from your trouble. Now, we might read that and say, well, that was Israel. Or that was thousands of years ago. But did you see over and over and over it says His love endures forever. Right? Alright, finally, number four. We thank God because He's a provider. He remembered us in our lowest state. His love endures forever. And freed us from our enemies. His love endures forever. He gives food to every creature. His love endures forever. If you eat Today, it's because God thought of you and cared about you. Because His love endures forever. He will always be faithful, just like the worship team sang about. So, what do we do with this information? How are we supposed to respond? Well, it says right there in verse 26, Give thanks to the God of heaven. His love endures forever. Here's the problem. And this is what I want to talk to you about. I understand what God did for me. Not fully. I will never understand completely what God did for me. But I think I've got a pretty good handle 
on how much God loves me and how He communicated His love for me. And in my heart, I'm grateful for what God did for me. I really am. But there's a disconnect. It makes me think that I'm not a very good thanker or thanksgiver. Because what I feel in my heart, I am unable to adequately communicate. I can't say what I feel. Why do you think that's such a struggle? And not only is that a problem in our relationship with God, but because I can't say what I feel, it also affects my relationships with other people. My interpersonal relationships. Here's an example. Have you ever had someone say thank you and you felt like maybe they didn't really mean it? Don't, don't shake your head. And don't point. My son and daughter-in-law have worked really hard to raise my grandchildren to be polite. And I'm very grateful for that. Every time Jason and I go pick up our grandkids to go somewhere, the last thing their dad says to them on the way out the door, don't forget, yes ma'am, no ma'am, yes sir, no sir. And they say, yes sir. So we go do something and we take them back home and their dad always says the same thing. Did you say thank you? And guess what they do? Thank you, JJ. Thank you, Poppy. That's our names. But I don't think they really mean it. <laughs> when we go to the movies, it's a hundred bucks anyway for the four of us. I just spent a hundred dollars and this is the thank you that I get. Right? Now, I know that they mean it. They feel it. They're not very good at articulating. You know what I'm saying? Does anybody know what I'm saying? And I think this lack of gratitude, this lack of thankfulness is a huge issue in our culture. For one reason, we just don't feel grateful because we're entitled. That's a good sermon right there. Or, like me, we feel grateful and we either don't know how to express our gratitude or we just don't take time to do that. But the scripture says, give thanks to the God of heaven. But we don't. Not really. I think there's a couple reasons why we don't return thanks to God like He needs us to. Number one, because we're spoiled. We've never done without. We've always had everything we needed in America. And then secondly, we really don't comprehend what Jesus did for us. We really don't understand the cross. And, and what we do understand about the cross doesn't apply to American life in the 21st century. And I believe this omission, this failure to adequately express thanksgiving, number one, creates a tension in human relationships, and number two, points out a deeper problem in our relationship with God. I read a great quote this week from author Len Sweet. He said, Our love for God is only as great as our love for the difficult people in our lives. Bob Goff says, every time I wonder who I should love and for how long I should love them, God continues to whisper to me, everybody, always. So I come to you this morning with a genuine desire to be a better thanksgiver. Don't you? I want to get better at this. Well, thankfully, there's a passage here in Luke 17 that may help. Luke 17, verse 11. 
Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. If you're not familiar with it, whenever a Galilean would travel down to Judea, where Jerusalem was for one of the festivals, they would cross over to the east side of Jordan and and go south down through the, the province of Perea so they could avoid Samaria. No Jew wanted to find himself in Samaria. There were a lot of little rest stop kind of villages on the way from Galilee to Judea. And we see Jesus walking into one of these villages, verse 12. As he was going into the village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Now, you probably know that leprosy was a terrible skin disease of that day, and it was awfully contagious. So if you got a little hint of a symptom of leprosy, you would have been excluded from society. You'd have to leave your family and your home. You could not go to work. You were excluded from the synagogue and you had to live in a colony outside of town. And when you were walking on the street and someone approached you, if they got within 50 feet, you were required by law to cry out, unclean, unclean. Can you imagine living like that? So here's 10 lepers They had obviously heard the story of Jesus. I believe they were watching the road in anticipation, expecting Him to show up. And the caravan approached and there was a lot of commotion. And the lepers thought to themselves, here's our chance for deliverance. Here's our one shot. And they began to cry out to Jesus for help. Verse 14. When Jesus saw them, he said, go show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Now, Luke's readers would have understood instantly what was going on, even though we don't. Because the doctor was not allowed to pronounce them clean of their disease. Only the local priest could allow them re-entry back into society. So when Jesus, and it's interesting to me, he didn't touch them. He didn't lay hands on them. He didn't even say a prayer. Most of the normal kind of Jesus healings we see didn't happen here. He just spoke. Go show yourself to the priests. And as they went, as they acted in faith, as they invested belief in the Jesus command, the Bible says they were cleansed. Now, can you imagine? Instantly set free from their bondage instantly allowed to go back and hug their children and go back to work and back to Tuesday night bowling league. And then the plot thickens. This is verse 15. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked Him. And he was a Samaritan. So five seconds ago, this guy's crying out, unclean. Five seconds ago, he's crying out to Jesus in a loud voice, Have mercy! Have pity! And now he's crying out in a loud voice, but he's praising Jesus for the miracle that has transpired in his life. And then Luke adds something else that wouldn't make sense to us, but would to his readers. And he was a Samaritan. I think most of us knows that, that Samaritans... Were, they'd broken off from the northern tribes of Israel. They were they'd originally been Jews, but now they had intermarried with other pagan tribes. And their, their Jewishness was a mishmash of all kinds of mythology. And they actually thought they were the actual carriers of the covenant. So Samaritans hated Jews 
and Jews hated Samaritans. Okay? Now watch this in verse 17. Jesus asks three questions of this Samaritan man. We're not all ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? And has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Okay, now think with me for a second. Are you with me? I'm pretty sure the other nine lepers who'd been healed were thankful. I'm confident that in their hearts they felt overwhelming gratitude. But they didn't express it. They didn't say thank you. Why didn't they? And why don't we? The point I want us to take today, if we, the church, are called to represent the kingdom of God in this world, in fact, I might even say, if we're just going to be decent human beings, we've got to be like that Samaritan who went the extra mile and took time out of his day to return and give thanks. In other words, I must turn the feelings of gratitude into the the action of thanksgiving. In other words, the emotion that I have in my heart must find expression if I'm going to be a child of God. And in my opinion, the primary reason Why the unchurched in our world want nothing to do with church. The main reason why church attendance is going down and down and down every week after every week after every year is that because Christians are grateful for what Jesus has done in their lives, but they're not thankful for what Jesus has done in their lives. In other words, in public, in the neighborhood, in our workplaces... In the lines at Walmart, we're not thankful, we're grumpy. And we're moody. And we're self-centered. And we're unkind. And we're quick to complain. I need to become a better thanksgiver. You? Okay, well, I'm going to close by giving you something that I think will help you. I hope will help you. I'm going to get super practical. And these are some things that I've learned for myself. And these are other things that I've observed that I want to loan. But here's four ways that you can become a better thanker. Number one, be specific. When you kind of become aware that someone has done something to you or for you that is... that appropriate response is thanksgiving, you need to articulate precisely why you feel grateful. I think it's important that you're specific. My wife is great at this. A couple of examples I thought of. She's in this little rubber stamping thing, and we used to go to conventions all over the place. We've been down to Orlando several times. And the last time we were there, we rented a car, and she told me where she needed to go, so I just drove there. And as we're driving, she said, I'm so glad that you came along with me because you're so great at directions. She said, you just know exactly where to go and and you don't even need to look at a map or anything. And I thought, I'm pretty great. (laughs) Because my wife pointed it out to me. She didn't just say thank you. See what I'm saying? Also, my wife has Mickey Mouse inflatables for every season and every holiday of the year. This is her gift. 
So a couple of weeks ago, she said, would you mind getting out the Mickey Mouse inflatables for Halloween? So I said, sure. Well, while she was at work, I went and got a bunch of pumpkins and I got some mums and I got some hay bales and kind of put all of her Mickey Mouse things and arranged it all. Well, she came home. She didn't just say thank you. She said, I love how you arranged all that. That's so attractive. That's so good. I didn't feel so great about that. But still, I appreciate that she's specific in her thanks. I think that's important. And it adds weight to your Thanksgiving. Secondly, if you want to be a better Thanksgiving, you've got to be honest. We all have that slimy person at work. That greasy, oily, hypocritical, um, duplicitous, works every angles person. You know what I'm talking about. Well, people can spot a phony a mile away. They're not fooling anybody. And I think they know that they're not fooling anybody. So if you're thankful and you want to express thanksgiving to somebody, just be authentic. Or if you're not thankful, don't pretend like you are. This Samaritan didn't return and give thanks to Jesus because it was the right thing to do. Or because he felt like he was supposed to. He was brimming with genuine gratitude. And he turned his feelings of gratitude into actions of thanksgiving. And Jesus noticed and commended him for it. Thirdly, when you feel thankful to somebody, you're going to express thanksgiving. Make it public. Now, this one's a little tricky. Because it can can be really awkward. And I think you have to choose your spots for this. But if you get a chance to express thanksgiving to somebody in a public setting, it has a major impact. I've got another example of this. Just happened this last week. Um, I was, we had a funeral dinner here on Tuesday afternoon, so I was sitting up chairs and tables, and I'm just pouring sweat, and I'm listening to a book in my headphones, and I turned around, and my district superintendent is standing right there in front of me. Now, if you don't know, we have a new district superintendent who's been in office about a year. He's younger than me. I never thought that would happen. And we were youth pastors together back years ago. So we've been friends a long time. But I was stunned to see the district superintendent right here in our building. Well, Tuesday was my birthday. And he knew that. And he brought me a gift card. And I thought, wow, you go to every pastor in the entire Oklahoma district on their birthday and bring them a gift card. I don't think he does. But anyway, I brought him in the office and we sat down for a minute. We're just chatting. And there's a knock on my back door. And I went and opened it. It was Kyle. And Kyle had a packet under his arms that had a dozen golf balls and a green fee to Lincoln Park Golf Course and a card from you. You didn't know you got me a birthday present, did you? But this is from you. I'm so grateful. Today is all about you. But anyway, you guys know not a man of a lot of words. But anyway, I introduced Kyle to, to Daryl. They'd met before, and, and Kyle was saying, I got to go. And I said, man, I'm just really touched that you came out today. And he said, we just wanted to express to you how much you mean to us and let you know how honored we are that you're here as our pastor. Right in front of my superintendent! Can you see how public Thanksgiving has a chance to make a real impact. So when you can, express your thanks in public. And finally, number four, if you can, make it permanent. Now, thank you notes 
have fallen out of favor in our culture. And I understand that because we have all the digital options. And texting is great. And emails are great. And, and all that. And use those. But because when you write a note and spend 59 cents, Janice, how much is the stamp now? A lot. An hour's pay to put a stamp on something and go to the mail and mail it to somebody. It's got way more impact than a text in my mind. In fact, I've told you guys this before. In the bottom drawer of my desk, I, I have all the cards and the notes. That's a picture that you guys have sent me. I kept everything. And every once in a while, when things aren't going so good with my day, I, I pull some of those out and begin to read them. And they are treasures to me because they're genuine expressions of thanksgiving and affection to J.C. and me. And when I need that, I've got that because you made it permanent. And it's huge. So when you think about someone that means a lot to you, of course, pick up the phone and call. Send a text. That's great. But if you want to really make an impact, write a note and put it in the mail to them. We're talking about finding ways to take action to express gratitude. All right. In a couple of weeks... We're going to actually have a holiday that's called Thanksgiving. And this is always an amazing opportunity for us, even as spoiled, entitled Americans, to press pause and give thanks to God for His kindness in our lives. But can I also suggest you not forget the people that cooked your meal or paid for the groceries or is hosting the gathering? The people that loved you enough to make this day possible for you. And also just your family for putting up with you. They ought to get thanks for that. And this is one of the primary reasons why I love the church. This, this idea of the church is so amazing. Because this, this is a time where we, friends, old and new, can get together and encourage one another. And these are family members who walk through this journey of life with us. And certainly we worship God for the countless things he's done in our lives and in our church and in our fellowship. And it's going to be that way forever because Psalms 136.26 says, Give thanks to the God of heaven. His love endures forever.